Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And each week we bring you an in-depth discussion with a different creative Mississippian. We talk to artists, we talk to musicians, craftspeople, as well as people who help promote the arts in their community. And today I'm on the road, I'm up in Greenwood, Mississippi, and I'm here to talk with a longtime a local singer and band leader. You know him for his uh, rockabilly work, his country music, Mac Allen Smith. Mac, hello. Hello, Larry. Thanks for having us up here at Greenwood. It's Thank a, you. Kind of a cloudy day, but uh, we're inside and we're we're doing well. Yeah, that's right. It was cold a couple of days ago. I probably would have canceled this appointment then. If it... <laughs> it's warm enough now. Yeah. Well, I'm up here. You've uh, we've had you on the Arts Hour in the past when we talked. Uh, we were saying maybe eight nine years ago on a previous release, but you've got a new CD out called "Sitting in the Sunshine, Wishing It Was Moonshine." So tell us a little bit about why you put this out. This is this has uh, recordings from kind of all over your career from maybe the mid-60s up into the early 90s. Yeah, this is, uh, well, I started out with a, with another CD a couple of years ago with just my songs. We had 26 songs on it. title of the CD was Rockabilly Attic. And well, on this one, I wanted to come back and put some more of my songs. The reason I'm doing this is was to pitch my songs, you know, to other artists in hopes of getting them recorded. I, I had luck. I had HBO do one of my songs called I'm Not Drunk, I'm Just Drinking. But on this one, uh, uh, the title song, Sitting in the Sunshine, Wishing It Was Moonshine, is one that, uh, that, that I'm trying to pitch along with the other on it. It's 26 songs on it, too. And I got the idea of this song from my grandson. I picked him up one day after school, and it was raining. We got to mess around sitting in the rain and, and then it quit raining and the sun came out and then we were sitting, sitting in the sunshine and he said well you can wait till tonight and gramps and uh, it'll be sitting sitting in the moonshine so i said hmm, maybe that's sound like it might be a song there so that's where uh, the, the song i'm not uh i mean sitting in the sunshine wishing it was moonshine became the title song on my latest cd which is like i say is 26 songs written by me and and i'm using it mainly for trying to pitch my songs. Yeah, and so and it features uh, stuff going all the way back to the mid-1960s up through, uh, up through now. So for the folks who are, um, for the folks that are new to hearing about your music, you, you come from a, you've lived here in Greenwood for many years, but you're uh, a native of Carrollton originally, right? That's right, yeah. Born and raised in Carroll County. And you had uh, kind of a musical, you came from a musical family, I believe? Yeah, well, my mother played guitar and sang. My and my uncle Archie played guitar, fiddle, bass, and sang. Jimmy, Uncle Jimmy, played uh, guitar and fiddle. They, he had a radio show in Greenwood. Started out with just playing old country dances, you know, where houses where they didn't have any electricity, so they had to play acoustic you know, instruments. But then, of course, he he moved on up when he got to town and had a radio show when he got electricity and everything. But yeah, it's, uh, all the family pretty much can play except me. I just holler, get up. And... But you started pretty early, right? I, I think it was you were still in in high school when you got started as a singer. Is that right? 
Yeah, I started, well, I started out singing God Bless America when I was about three years old. But anyway, yeah, for, with a band, I started in 54 in high school with it, the FFA band. Yeah, they started having this band contest. They called it the Hillbilly Band Contest. And uh, 54 and 55, both of those years, we won the state championship. I was wanting to do some Elvis stuff. He came on the scene with That's All Right Mama in 54, but that, that wasn't allowed then because they called it the FFA Hillbilly Band, and they said that Elvis, that wouldn't fit in there. So I, I had to sing some Hank Williams and Ray Price, stuff like that. So the the high school band led to, I believe, now tell me, you you got started kind of professionally, though, pretty soon after high school or right after high school? Yeah, I graduated uh, from Jay-Z George High School in 1956, and I started singing at the VFW in Greenwood with a band, Kenny Minyard band then, and then I went to Holmes Junior College in the fall and I formed a, my own band down there, Bill Mac Allen Smith and the Flames. And uh, that's where I got started with that group. We had uh, a drummer from Kosciuszko and, and a guitar player from Carroll County and stuff. And we played the old 51 Club, too, down at D-Rent and played the VFW in Kosciuszko, too. Well, well, so tell us about kind of that in, in that early band. This is, this is kind of the beginning of rock music. Elvis is coming out, so that's like the hot new thing, right? That's... But that's not the only thing that you guys are doing, right? Yeah, well, in 56, this was, uh, Kenny Minnie was a, a country band. They played just country music, and they, they hired me because they wanted somebody to do some Elvis because Elvis was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And so uh, that's, that's actually all I did with the Kenny Minnie band. Of course, when I formed, formed my band, I did just kept doing Elvis, but I also did, you know, Carl Perkins, Blue Suede Shoes, and uh, what's his name, Vincent? Gene Vincent? Gene Vincent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going. Bebopalula. Bebopalula, yeah. Yeah, okay, we did that. And uh, and just uh, Fast Domino, Chuck Berry, and all that kind of stuff we was doing besides Elvis then. And, uh, so were you one of the few, like in this area, were you one of the few bands that were doing those newer songs at that time? At that time, yeah, as far as I know, you know, that we were pretty much it. Because all the clubs were using country bands that had been around a while, and they just played... That old rain is cold and slowly falling and bubbles them a beer and all that kind of, you know, country stuff that was popular back then. Uncle Jimmy, that favorite song, I think, was Bubbles in My Beer. And Jenkins Roscoe had a band, and he, he did that old rain's cold and slowly falling on my window pane tonight, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. But Kenny said he thought they needed somebody to do Elvis, and so that's the reason I wound up with him. What were what were the uh, the clubs like back then? Like, what 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 was the environment like? What 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 are your memories of that time playing in clubs? Well, dancing, of course, and uh, bringing your bottle and buying a bowl of ice and mixing drinks on a plastic cup, and, and uh, that's just pretty much hadn't you know the old the honky tonking didn't hadn't changed that much from as far as the dancing, drinking, and everything. Of course, there's not near as many clubs around now as it was at one time here. Right, that was much more of a thing people did, I guess. Yeah. Everybody in town would, would head out to the clubs. You're listening to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and today our guest is Mac Allen Smith. We're talking with him about his career in music and his new CD, 
sitting in the sunshine, wishing it was moonshine. And this is a collection of, of songs that you've recorded throughout your career from the mid 1960s up until recent years. So uh, one of one of the the stories you have uh, uh, is one of your first recording uh, opportunities was going to the famous Sun Records in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, right. In 1959, uh, when I came out of the Marine Corps, when I talked about high school in '56, and I went in the Marines in in January '57. When I came out in '59, I got the band started back and. And we did go to Sun Records and record four songs. They they were not released, but uh, years later, Martin Hawkins over in England came up and found the old tape. He went through all the files, and we wound up with a, a CD in the Netherlands, or Adida Records, where they actually did finally, we finally got the Sun recordings on a CD. So what happened to the recordings? They weren't released at the time. Did so somebody held on to them? Yeah, Martin Hawkins. They were like I say he, it was years there before. I mean, he got the tapes from the studio, okay. from Sun Studio, and uh, and Redita, Robert Lures, with Redita Records, put it out on a couple of years ago. On uh, I'm just gonna dig in here to see if I can find it. Here. Digging into the to, into I'm digging the, in the drawers, in the drawers looking for these CDs among the many collections here. And I'm going to pass it on here to Larry let you look at oh, okay. it. Okay. This is the unreleased 1959 Sun Recordings. Mac Allen Smith, Gotta Rock Tonight. What are your memories of, of being in Sun at that time, recording in the studio? Well, it was kind of, it was an awesome experience there. Uh, uh, Especially, you know, one guy said, well, you know where you standing there singing Mean Woman Blues and Sandy Lee and all that stuff? I said, you know, Elvis Presley stood right there where you standing and sang That's All Right, Mama, and Blue Moon of Kentucky. And it kind of blew my mind being there, you know. Were you... Like did, bigger than life. You know, yeah. Really. Did you have a, a your own band with you or was it people yeah, from... Yeah, I was used to my band. And they wanted to come back. Well, Ernie Barton, the producer, wanted me to come back and record it with a studio band. And uh, David Lee Cox, our piano player, wanted to go somewhere else. And Red McGregor said, no, you go on and do it. Record it with this studio band. There's, there's, there's no need of waiting. But we wound up going to high and auditioning for Jack Clemens because he was looking for good songs, and uh, they weren't too good, I guess, commercial songs. But we wound up, like I say, we didn't get a recording out of that at the time. But 30 years later, <laughs> I guess, however long it was, for to put it out yeah. uh, before we finally got them out on, the, on CD. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. We're back on the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Mac Allen Smith. We're visiting him in his home in Greenwood, and he's got a new CD out called Sitting in the Sunshine, Wishing It Was Moonshine. And uh, it has, uh, we just listened to a track uh, right before the break, and it's got songs from throughout his career. I kind of wanted to move on a little bit, you know, so you started out in the rockabilly era, and then 
that kind of had its time. And then, of course, the Beatles came and a lot of changes in music. And you kind of, I think, while you kept the rock thing, you also kind of moved into country. And so, especially kind of in your, uh, you know, you were a big live performer, performing at a lot of the local clubs here in the region. Well, right. Yeah, during the 60s, we did a lot of soul music, too. You know, oh, okay. Was, uh, Otis Red and Wilson Pickett and, and all that. We, uh, yeah, besides country, you, like you said, we we did a kind of a whatever was popular at the time. We'd listen to the radio and what was popular, we'd practice and work it up and pretty play. We was playing Beatles songs and and just the, the newer country singers that was coming in, whatever they was doing, B.J. Thomas and, you know, and of course uh, Kenny Rogers. And there was a lot of good ones that come along there and, in the 60s and 70s. But uh, well, the trumpets we had, we had that and two trumpets and a sax to kind of go along with the soul music, you know. The, okay. It was hot at the time. But throughout this time, you're, you're recording and trying and putting music out, but... And it doesn't exist as much anymore, but there were lots of kind of um, local and regional record labels that, that put this stuff out. So talk about a few of those that you worked with over the years, that, you know, the re smaller regional ones. Yeah, well, after we didn't get to deal with Sun in 59, then, we, of course, we just kept playing the honky-tonks and all that. And then in 62, uh, there's the jukebox operator in Greenwood. It had jukebox, pinball machines, and all that kind of stuff named Dominic Fatizzi, he had a little label called a V8 label, and, and he put out a song on me. I got my mojo working, and the flip side was uh, one I wrote called I'm a Lover. And then we did several more. On, uh, we did a couple more on V8, and then he, he he had another label, Stature. We did several on Stature, too. So that's how we kind of we got started out with the local. because And then Dominic, back then, you could get airplay like it's not now. It's everything it seemed like it's on the, all the stuff we got out now is on CD Baby and iTunes and all that. But back then, you know, like I say, it was a lot of small labels and they could get going, visit with the disc jockey and, and they it would play your songs and and uh, get some. And Dominic had some good luck with a uh, Jimmy Gilreath. He put out a song on him on Statue and he wound up and released it to a label in New York and sold a million records. And then, of course, Sid Heron and the, the Gants came along, too, after after us and, and did Roadrunner, and he uh, released that to Liberty Records, and had, they wound up, they had a million seller, so, but he, he never would do one of mine. You know. but, it, but it was kind of like you went through this kind of smaller label, and then it could kind of boost up to a bigger label. Right, you, had, you hoped that they would lease it to a major label, get yeah. some airplay, yeah. Now, now, one of the other interesting things about your career is all the different kind of legendary studios that you recorded in. So, of course, we you mentioned Sun Records in the last segment, and you made a quick mention of High Records, which also later became a huge recording studio, kind of of the R&B soul era. So, talk about getting connected with High Records. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, Willie Mitchell, you know, was big there, and Al Green later on, but before them... Uh, like I said, we did our first one there in 62, and then we came back and did another one. And after that there, we did Skeleton Fight. We also did Hobo Man there. And uh, the, the way way that we actually got in there, Dominic they had a, 
a record salesman that traveled on the road. I don't think they even hardly do that anymore. A guy named Bill Biggs approached Dominic about forming a company, and they they formed formed the V8 and the Statue label, and that's where they were recording. They had a deal with them. Ray Harris was the engineer at, at, at High. And so we did our, like I say, did. I got my mojo working. I'm a lover. And then we came back with Hobo Man, Old Man River. Then we went to Muscle Shows was such a night. And the ones after that, except for that one we did on the back of Skeleton Fight, which was uh, Don't Let Me Treat You That Way. But, yeah, Dominic. And then they brought, had Hershey Wiggins and Bill Biggs was a friend of Hershey Wiggins in the group that I told you had uh, this thing on Hee Haw and everything. And they, they came down and they, Bill Biggs quit producing on our first one, and Herschel was the producer on that, as well as his group singing on future CDs after that. Now, with the high records, was they, there's often talk of the, uh, the legendary studio, the Royal Studios that they recorded for, where the high recording artists recorded. Was that, it was like in an old... Um, it was an old theater, theater yeah. So you, you got mm-hmm. to record it yeah. there. What, what are your memories of the old Royal Studios? Like well, it was, of course, back then the tapes was uh, you know just just a single track, and you had to get everything right. You know, you know now they can look on the TV screen and flip. They can remove one note or one word or do whatever. Back then, if anybody messed up, we had to start over and do it over and over. You know, and that's one thing was the muscle shows. They had two of the one track machines. You could record everything on one track, and then if you wanted to add, after you got that down, if you wanted to add something, a vocal group or whatever, then then they'd put the one you recorded on play and play it across to the other one-track machine, and then they would add you, add your voices and all that stuff right there on it going through that way. So that was uh, Fame Studios in Muscle Yeah, Shows? yeah. So that was Rick Hall. Rick Hall, who... who... Yeah. He just recently passed in the last yeah, couple of years, but there yeah. was a, a really good documentary about yeah. Muscle Shoals and, and that. Mm. And and of course, that was, you know, in the later 60s, you know, oh, yeah, Aretha he, Franklin, oh, he got so big. Yeah, the yeah. Rolling Stone. I mean, who wasn't? The staple singers. So many people came to record. So talk about working with Rick Hall, if, what you recall. Was he... Uh, was he a real hands-on guy in terms yeah, of Yeah, well, with that, I, you know, I think later on maybe he didn't do the engineering all the time, but he did the engineering and, and everything. He run the board and worked the board and, and uh, helped uh, Herschel, you know, with producing it. Yeah, he was, he was really still had, kind of getting established, mm, I guess, at that yeah, point. Yeah, that's before he'd had a really big, he'd had one, Arthur Big, uh, Annie Zander, what his name, Better Move On. So he had several in uh, oh, some of the several of the rhythm and blues artists. You're listening to the Arts Hour, and our guest today is Mac Allen Smith. He's a rockabilly, country, whatever you want him, singer from Greenwood, Mississippi, originally from Carrollton. Uh, We're visiting with him today in Greenwood, and we're talking about uh, his new CD that is a collection of of songs that he wrote over the past uh, 50 years, really. I wanted to get back to kind of the... um, you wrote a, a an autobiography some years back, and we've got a copy here we're looking at. But a, a lot of that, uh, of course, you did a lot of recording, but a lot of the day to day of your life as a musician was was out, you know, working in the clubs, and it wasn't necessarily. And and you talk about in your book a lot that you know this was it, while something that you like to do, something financially that you had to do in terms of just making money for your family. So. 
talk about kind of that that '60s era of the um, of the of the clubs in in the Delta and and in the Hills region. What are your memories of that time? Well, in the '60s, we were, I guess, the main club in Greenwood where we played the VFW, and then we started playing the Moose Lodge, and we we played we would play like Wednesday and Friday night after bingo, and then the VFW would play like Tuesday and Thursday night, and then on Saturday. We'd uh, we'd play at one of the clubs, or we might go to the American Legion Club in Cleveland or Greenville. And it was the ones in Greenville, the big American Legion over there would would, would see the thousand people. It was a big club, honky tonk, and we played there once a month. And and it was just uh, and I was trying to work. You know, I worked staple cotton and. When the cotton was rolling in the fall, they want you to work a hundred hours down there. They had a sliding scale, they, and they, the more you worked, the less you made. But anyway, but you were uh, we, how, we, how we, late? We, how late we, would you be out in the well, clubs? I would be out like during the week. I'd, I'd play till one o'clock, and time I'd get home and everything would be kind of pretty late. And then, and then I'd have to go to work. I'd come in at lunch, and you'd think twenty minutes wasn't much. It wouldn't help, but I think it did help. I'd maybe sleep about 20 minutes and my wife would wake me up and I'd go back to work and like I say and then playing every night during the week and then on weekends so it, it was well I was younger then too though that helped out a lot of things <laughs> I'm, I'm 81 now I can't hardly make it to the nine o'clock have to hit the sack yeah but this would be you were playing what three four sets a night or would that be the, what would be the standard well yeah normally it's nine to one we would play but on the weekend they had a deal going at the Moose Lodge where they'd pay, pass the hat to get you to play another hour. And uh, so that'd be till 2 o'clock, and then, then they'd pass the hat again. And, and uh, Dewey Ellis had owned the building. He'd, he'd throw $100 in the plate and say, go another hour. I mean, one time I walked out of there at 5.30 in the morning. It started at 9. But they had to keep uh, coaxing you with more money. Oh, right? yeah, more money. <laughs> You mention a lot of uh, in your in your book. You mention a lot of these kind of legendary old clubs, and I was just curious if you, you could talk a little, maybe what your memories of these were. The one that you bring up a lot is the, um, I, and I think this is a later area, the the Country Music Palace in in uh, Vaden, Mississippi. I think you spent a lot of years playing there. Yeah, well, I had my I had a club too for five. Oh, yeah, that's right. We got to talk about that. Uh, time, before I started playing at Vaden, I had yeah. a. Had tanning, it was called Mac Adam Smith's Tanning Country Night Club. Opened that in 71 and ran it through 76, five years there. Then, after I got out of, out of that, I started playing at Vaden at the Country Music Palace. And then they had another club over where the guy built it was the Delta Queen. So we left it, wound up playing at the Delta Queen, and uh, it burned. And uh, we were back at the Country Palace. You know, we played in the Country Palace, moved to the slab where where the Delta Queen was. Cause it had a lot of good parking. That they had built a good parking lot there. Carter Johnson was a multimillionaire. It had a uh, construction company in Australia and all over. Anyway, he uh, he was pretty much uh, wanting to get out of Vaden, you know, and but he's kind of protecting his interests. But anyway, he after Wayne Burkett kind of got the Country Music back. Palace back, and then they went for. So we were played there several more years, until I finally hung it up there in, in '84, and uh, stayed quit for 18 years. 
tell us about it. So what? What? Let, so the Town and Country Club that was a club on the outskirts of Greenwood, right? Right, forty nine South. Yeah, before Ed Maloof and it owned had, the building. It had been a it, what? It had been something prior to you, right? What was it in there? Yeah, before well, in nineteen thirty nine, before Ed Maloof built the club, he owned that build the building. He owned the, the trailer park around there and the and liquor stores and all that kind of stuff. And he would he had the big bands and he had gambling in there. He had a club uh, room where he had a roulette wheel and dice tables and all kind of gambling stuff. And and he ran it from thirty nine to fifty two. And he was he told me about he had this bathroom in his bathroom where you'd had to go through the club room where all his gambling was to get to the bathroom. And he he laughed about how much. Money those people would drop on the dice tables and roulette wheels going back forth from the bathroom. Oh, he made them walk through the gambling. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they, he had the bands. He said uh, had he had you know like Glenn Miller and all the big big bands, and he had some a uh, bunch of tickets I did have, and I gave it to this whitehead. They're doing a thing on Greenwood. Uh, he's got I think he got pictures of them in his book. Yeah, it was a it was a going thing. It was called the Rising Sun. And he approached me about opening it up. When I opened it up, he called me and uh, said, he said, I've been thinking, people telling me I ought to get you to come out here and open my club back up. It's just sitting there. And so that's where I got with, hooked up with him. And Oh, so uh, he approached you about it. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that. What was How was it different being now? You had been working in the clubs for a long time. Now you were the club owner. Yeah, it was a lot, of, it was a lot different. You yeah. know, I had to worry about the fights and, and my wife was running the door and taking up the, the cover charge. And, yeah, it was a lot different. You know, when I was just playing for somebody else, I didn't worry about all that. But then now I had to worry. If they had a fight, I had to have some good bouncers. I had, in fact, the last one of my uh, uh, Randall boy bouncers uh, just passed away. I had uh, Jimmy, Buck, and, and Billy. Jimmy, Buck, and Billy. Were, and then they had a couple more, two uh Keith Chapman and Wayne Boyette, I had some pretty good bouncers, but I had to kind of worry if it started something, I had to kind of leave the bandstand, you know. And, oh, you and, would have to go and, see about it. Yeah, huh? yeah, I had to, I, would, I reckon a lot of times I didn't, should have just let them handle it, you know. I'd try to, you know, talk to them. I wasn't trying to do nothing but talk. <laughs> anyway, actually, yeah, it was a lot of difference owning, owning the club and just, just singing in it, it was. Well, let's listen to another uh, track from the new CD. And this is uh, the one I wanted you to talk about now is this uh, track called Bloody Mary Morning, which is a kind of a real real 70s style uh, country song that, that you've got on here. Well, uh, you know, Bloody, I don't know, Bloody Mary is pretty much uh, notorious for, you know, drink, drinking that if you get... Wiped out in the morning, drank a Bloody Mary. It's supposed to like hair of the dog. Yeah. yeah so that's it was it's no big story about it. Anything. In fact, I think Willie Nelson had a had a had a song out called Bloody Mary Morning too. Oh, really? I understand. Yeah. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. 
You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. We're back on the Arts Hour, and our guest today is Mac Allen Smith. He's a rockabilly country singer from Greenwood, Mississippi. We're up visiting with him today. Um, another uh, kind of legendary studio uh, producer, record uh, label guy that I wanted you to talk about who you who you worked with was Johnny Vincent, who was uh, from Ace Records in Jackson, Mississippi. How did you get connected with Johnny? Yeah, again, uh, Johnny called me. You know, Johnny was one of, besides uh, Sam Phillips, I think Sam Phillips would be, had to be number one as far as changing the course of music. And then I think if you'd had to have a number two, it'd be Johnny Benson. You know, he had that uh, Rocky New Morning, the Boogie Woogie Flu, and the, and the Sea Cruise, and all the Dr. John stuff. He had a lot of hit records. And during the 70s, I think it was around 75, he'd call me and, and somebody had given him one of my tapes. And I had he wanted said he'd like to hear some of my stuff. So I took a whole box of big box of tapes down there and left it with him and he called me and said he'd like to do some recording on me so we did some you know sessions there at jackson and he actually put out a couple of things that i did at lynn lou in memphis he was the executive producer there because he had a little studio on uh, downtown in jackson back then and he later moved out to pearl and had that's where he was in a studio out there in offices uh, when he died. He's been dead several years. In the book I got out at uh, Known and Unknown Stars I've Known. Yeah. Do you, you ever have get that one? I recall that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, he's got a chapter in there that tells about, tells the story. In fact, we, I guess we should have mentioned that right at the start of the thing. I, but that's got about 106 pictures in the book. And, uh, and it tells, you know, about a lot of the artists that I work with, you know, Ace Cannon, Warren Smith, and different ones. So, But, yeah, Johnny Benson, he was the first class there, uh, one, of the, one of the tops in the business. So were, when you were, were you recording with him, was that still in Jackson? Yeah. At his studios? What do you recall of kind of, was he, was he the engineer as well, or did he just kind no, of run the he, business? No, he had an engineer there. Okay. He didn't do the engineering on it. And then he... My memory is I think there's like some album, at least an album or two that he yeah, put out on you, right? he did. He put out an album on me entitled The King of Rock and Roll. Uh-oh. He got a CD. Well, one of the songs on the CD is King of Rock and Roll. is one of the most popular ones they said overseas. But I didn't write that. Uh, in fact, I never heard it. The Little Richard had it on an album, and Johnny Vincent got me to sit down and listen to it and learn it, and when we recorded it. Then there in the studio in Jackson, had uh, that piano ride on there that everybody talks about. It was so good. It was uh, with Steve McGregor from Baseful, the one I mentioned earlier. So he's got a studio in Baseful, and he's the piano. He played piano on King of Rock and Roll, and it's a knocked out version. I guarantee you that. Now this uh, around the seventies. This is the time maybe when there was starting to be kind of that revival interest in the early rock and roll especially over in England and Europe. When did you first start finding out that there were these, there was this like kind of fan base overseas? Well, one of the, the trips to Ace Records in Jackson, a guy named Martin Hawkins and Johnny Dickens, they, they were they were both from England. They was over there looking through old records in his warehouse. 
and he told them about me recording, and they came over there, and, and Martin Hawkins talked me into signing a deal, deal with him and sending him some tapes. He did. Well, it wound up getting several albums out of the deal, Charlie Records, and Checkmate, and several different different labels. That was back in, in the 70s, and then I went over there on a two-week engagement in 79, played several clubs and a big outdoor concert that was really good. It was about, it said about 10,000 people at that. And then we did a lot of radio interviews, and, and I worked out a contract with Charlie Records for an album that came out later. I would guess they would have been interested kind of in your your connections to Sun Records and some of these other, uh, the early rockabilly stars that they were that they were fans of? The, the English, kind of the English oh, yeah, fans. Yeah, 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 they were, yeah, there's Johnny Vincent, there's those songs, but Johnny's, is, he, they were real popular over there, all that Sun stuff, I mean, Ace Records. Uh. Now, you, uh, once you gave up the, the nightclub outside of uh, Greenwood, you did um, continue on kind of working, you know, in, in the clubs. So how, how, how did things change from uh, into the seventies in terms of like the kind of music you were playing and what the audiences were like? Well, well, after my club, I started playing at Vaden pretty much played there mostly for the rest of my time that I had to quit in 84, but I I was uh, playing the country music palace and then the Delta queen and then it burned and they went back to Country Palace and played there until I... That's pretty much where we played the last few years of my career. And you stopped okay. for the first time, what, in the early 1980s? 84, I yeah. stayed quit 18 years. And my brother talked me into coming out to Blackhawk, his old schoolhouse they was having. So I started, I figured I'd go out there and sing one time, and then I wound up singing about 10, year, 10 more years did there when I went to a place in Grenada as a, out of Gold Springs. They had an old schoolhouse that had shows and Carmack on the way to Kosciuszko. And if I didn't do any more honky-tonking when I came back out of 18 years. So so the Blackhawk and those shows, those are kind of like early evening, kind of older folks kind of getting together yeah, on the weekend thing, yeah, right? Yeah, like 6 to 10. Yeah, it'd be all over 10 o'clock. Yeah. I think you came to Blackhawk yeah, one it, time. Yeah, it's, it's a really neat little, uh, yeah, old probably early 20th century schoolhouse, big schoolhouse. And they'd have the the, uh, desserts and Cokes and coffee and people just visiting. And and, and a lot of the, I guess, so these are probably people that saw you back in the day in the 60s and 70s, maybe coming visiting you with you. Yeah. Yeah, they were always, I was always running to people making comments about them good old Moose Lodge days and all that stuff, and old good old town and country days. What caused you to hang it up back then in the early 80s? Well, you know, I was, I'd been working on the road, you know, besides my playing, I was, I was doing shows in, uh, in like uh, American Legion in Cleveland and, and uh, Greenville and different places. And I, I was just, and then I'd come in off the road playing i'd have to hit the road you know with the examining savings and loans i was working for the government then i'd gone i went back to college and got a degree in accounting in 70 graduated in 76 and i started doing that and i don't know i just got tired of looking at motel walls and now since you're kind of in in the last uh well, let's say 15 or 20 years or so you've also kind of 
been documenting yourself in a lot of ways. You've you've written a couple different, a few different books, right? Uh, including this one that's kind of a, a memoir book, looking back one last time, that kind of goes through your musical career as well as kind of your personal life. And then uh, also putting out all these different, you know, kind of reintroducing people through all these CDs. Um, yeah, well, could I just uh, give you another one? Hold on. Oh, my gosh. He's just pulled okay. another book out. Okay. Rockabilly Rebel, Mac Allen Smith, Known and Unknown Stars That I've Known. I did hear about this. I don't know if I got, got a copy. You got one now. Then you got okay. That. And so this kind of goes, gives you all the different stars and musicians and people that you've, you worked with over the right. years. Yeah, it's got a chapter. You know, each one of them has got a chapter. Uh, one thing that we were talking about before we put the recording on, and, and of course this is, a, you know, with all the new TVs and movies that are coming out, they're always looking for uh, interesting music. And uh, your one of your track, one of your earlier tracks, got used on a uh, a TV show some time back. Tell us a little bit yeah, about on that. Yeah, uh, HBO, a lady from California called me that you know it it uh, licensed the songs to be used on there on a TV program. They had a program called Eastbound and Down, and uh, they uh, leased that for me to use in that show. That was like in 2012, I believe, looking at the right up there. But it's uh, we got a little good little response off of that. In fact, we're still getting response off of that. Steve McGregor put, put it on the Internet for we, we We worked together on that, and he since I don't know which end of the computer to get on, he handled right. all that, see. Well, that's good. And, uh, yeah, we're still getting some uh, royalties coming in off of that one. It's, uh, I'm not drunk. I'm just drinking. Yeah. I, I mean, and you kind of span the different eras. You know, you have the original kind of rockabilly era. You've got kind of 60s rock and country. You've got 70s country. You kind of did so many different styles. So, and this new CD is kind of a good, uh, gives you an overview of kind of all the different styles and things that you did. And some of these are interesting because they, they, I guess they're a little autobiographical. They, they talk about different th- frustrations you had. And one that is interesting you uh, you have on here is called I Don't Do Disco. Uh, yeah, that's right. Tell us about uh, like tell us to, about why you did that one. I like to start during the disco phase there. <laughs> How was the disco phase for you? Uh, it wasn't. It, it, like I say, I don't do, do, do disco and I don't wear a cowboy hat. But that was... Uh, that was the main thing. I don't know. I talked to Ace Cannon. He said, hey, man, that disco phase there, that couple of years there, like to wiped him out, too. Did you Do you remember feeling that at the time? That Did that did that affect bookings? Did people in the Delta want to well, listen we, to the Bee Gees and that? Well, we still, you know, still we're still playing the, in fact, we was playing the Delta Queen, I think, when we were doing a show with Ace Cannon. He was talking about it. That was that been in, in, back in the 80s or Early eighties, and so you, while while you did sing country songs, you do in this song say I never I don't wear cowboy hats. So what was that like a, a kind of a line that you didn't want to cross? Oh yeah, I don't know. I was just this you know it's hard to explain. I guess I was trying to get something rhymed with some. I don't do disco and. But were you kind of uh, you were I allegiant wear, back to your rockabilly roots and wearing a I cowboy get, yeah, hat? I kind think of, so, probably. Yeah. yeah. Mm. In your heart, you were always a rockabilly, right. even. 
the other one that uh, is it, and maybe this goes back to your, especially running your club days, is sick and tired of rednecks hollering at me. Tell about that one. Well, it's about the, you know, about the rednecks, you know, they always holler and play this, play that, and sometimes they get mad if you don't play it right, and that, you know, and uh, that's just, they said, I ain't pulling on my sleeve, I just wish the hell she'd leave, and one line, but uh, it's not too much to tell about that. Well, just more of like, not every customer is going to be an easy one, I guess, to, <laughs> right. to get to. Well, uh, I think people, you have so much stuff that uh, I'm sure would be interest of people. Of course, you've got this, uh, the new CD, Sitting in the Sunshine, Wishing It Was Moonshine. You've got the, uh, what's the, the purple one there? Uh, Rockabilly Eddie. And that's that's more of your kind of classic rockabilly, and that, and that one you put out maybe in the last year. Yeah. And of course, I think the the there's a collection that came out on Big Legal Mess, which is a sub label of Fat Possum that has been out for about ten years, and that's early years, early right? early years, early sixties kind of straight rockabilly, sixty two through sixty seven. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So and that and has you kind of in your full rockabilly mode on the front of that with your slick back hair and all that. You call those days? You probably had to dress pretty slick to be the front man in these back yeah. in those days, huh? Yeah, that's right. It looks like I got a tie on now. I wouldn't, <laughs> don't wear no ties no more. <laughs> Couldn't show up without a tie to the club, right? You, you had to look better than the than the audience, right? Well, yeah, wore them. It's like group. They have red coats, you know, in the tie, and I'd have a black coat, maybe lead singer. Yeah, it was different, yeah, for sure. Well, if people are interested in hearing any of your music, you this is available on kind of all the electronic platforms. You said like iTunes and uh, CD Baby. You right. can order an actual mm-hmm. physical CD if you still want a CD, or otherwise you can get it. Uh, I'm, I believe Fat Possum still has the the early years CD for sale as well. So yeah, because I buy I, I buy a box every now and then. Yeah, I run out. And of course, you got your books as well. So. Um, thanks so much for having us up here and uh, well, on our way you. out we'll, we'll we'll check out the title track of this this song uh, the one that you uh, wrote with your great grandson right, All right. co-writer yeah. co-writer right uh, for those of you checking in uh, late to the show you'd like to listen to the whole show or share the show with a friend you can go to the MPB website at mpbonline.org they post all the past arts hour shows as streaming files 